Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 93. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I want to talk to you about some of the things that have been coming up in previous episodes, and I haven't really had the time to kind of summarize and synthesize them for you. I like doing that, and I think that there are themes that flow through probably the last 40 episodes, but I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the concepts that have been coming up more recently and try to explain as much as possible what I hope that you'll take away. This morning, my friend Nicole Burgess, who is the host of Launching Your Daughter podcast, had a great quote on her Facebook page. It really spoke to me. It was a quote from Carl Rogers. Those of you who are therapists know he's a great figure in the client-centered therapy movement. The quote was, am I living in a way that is deeply satisfying to me and which truly expresses me? It's such a simple quote, yet... How many of us really are living right now in a way that feels deeply satisfying and feels as if our true self is being expressed? I know I hear from a lot of people that they feel like they're just kind of going through the motions, getting through each day, go to work, come home, busy, 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 busy. And I just wanted to kind of try to tap into that concept of feeling as if you are living in a way that is deeply satisfying and truly expresses who you are. It's something that I've talked about a lot, you know, that concept of your authentic self, or in my therapy practice, my little tagline is connect with your true self. And I don't know how much people really pay attention to that or think about what it means, but what it means to me is two things. Connecting with your true self refers to, for me, both getting connected within to your true self, your inner wisdom, your highest self, whatever you want to call it, your soul connection. So connecting with your true self is connecting within yourself to your truest self not the part of you that may worry about things or try to control everything, but the part of you that is just really knows that you are okay just how you are. And then the other part of what connect with your true self means to me is in our connections with other people that we are connecting with them from our truest selves, not from a place of perfectionism, 
people pleasing, hoping that they don't figure out who you really are because they may not like you then trying to be what other people want you to be or what you think they want you to be. Like, who am I? How do I show up in this situation? Am I the same when I'm with all of my friends and in all of the roles I play in my life, in my work life, in my personal life as a parent, as a child, a family member? Do I show up the same way in all of those different roles I play? That's something to really think about. So many people who come to me for therapy come because they don't feel like they have deep, meaningful connections in their lives. And connecting with your true self means you get to know who you are, what you want, what you like and dislike, how you feel, what your boundaries are. Sometimes we may have never even thought about that. Maybe we didn't get the chance to when we were growing up and we just kind of put on a costume and play a role that we were told maybe by our parents or we somehow figured out in young adulthood that this is the best way to get through life and avoid pain. But after a while, when you've been doing that, it just feels like you're playing a role and you're not yourself. And I hear so many people who are in their 40s and 50s saying, I don't even know who I am, but I'd like to find out. So making that true connection within yourself so you can connect authentically with other people as you are knowing that you can show up and be seen for who you are without having to change who you are to be liked. Because chances are people will like you for who you are if you show them. Am I living in a way that is deeply satisfying to me and which truly expresses me? That quote just really resonated. So thanks. Shout out to Nicole Burgess of Launching Your Daughter Podcast for putting that in my awareness this morning. So for this episode, what I want to do is talk a bit about what a soul connection is, what it feels like, and how you know when you have it, how you can connect with your inner wisdom. I'm going to talk about it a bit and I'm going to use some clips from some of my past therapy chat episodes to maybe illustrate the point better than I can myself today. And then I'm going to give you some resources that you can use to practice getting connected with your own inner wisdom. And the resources will be in the show notes if it's a book or something like that, possibly a journal prompt. Um, I'll put them in the show notes so you can reflect on them. Maybe you can't do it right now because you're driving, but you want to come back to it. So look for that in the show notes. And I'm also going to tell you about how you can join me and Charlotte Heiler Easley in Central Maryland at the end of August for a retreat using concepts of the daring way, which is based on Brene Brown's work on vulnerability and authenticity and equine assisted psychotherapy, working with horses to get connected within yourself. That information will be at the end of the episode. So what does it mean to connect with your inner wisdom and what does it feel like? It's truly a visceral experience and extremely hard to put into words. Until you've felt it, you may not know what it feels like. And some people may feel that way often. And if you do, I'm so happy for you because it feels great to be really grounded and just living into embodying who you are. But for the rest of us, The first time I experienced that feeling was, well, the first time I can name experiencing that feeling. I'm sure there were other times where I felt it, had a glimpse, but I didn't know what to call it. But the first time I know I felt this feeling of being connected within myself and really feeling like my authentic self was when I attended the Daring Way training down in San Antonio back in September 2014. I felt connected. I felt I could see the ways that I was trying to perform, please, and perfect, as Brene Brown says, 
to be liked. And I was able to observe myself from a very grounded place and see that when I would participate in a group, I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like the other people wouldn't like me or I didn't like them. And I felt like they were not like me, wouldn't understand me, that I was different. And whether it's a I'm better than them or they're better than me, when you are judging other people, you're not grounded. You're not in your truest self because your truest self would be open and accepting, curious and willing to let go of trying to control the situation and just be in the moment. So I was able to notice that that was how I was showing up and do it without feeling ashamed, but just with compassion for myself and curiosity about why I was feeling the need to separate myself. But the whole experience of participating in the Daring Way training, since it was an experiential training, meant that I got grounded, felt connected with myself. I liked who I was. I liked who I am. And I liked who I was with. And I didn't need them to be perfect. And I didn't need myself to be perfect because I was able to just accept who they are as they are and who I am and as I am in that moment. It was very profound for me. It was a huge shift. And I'm going to play you a little clip from one of my past episodes where I talked about my experience with the Daring Way and how things changed for me after that training. So let's have a listen. Now, I came into this as someone who wanted to live more authentically, more wholeheartedly, but I was kind of a lone wolf. My perspective was, I don't need anyone. I don't depend on other people. I only depend on myself. In my story, other people can't be trusted to meet my needs, so I make sure to rely only on me. But I sure do love taking care of other people. I would much rather focus on that than on what I need. I was going around trying to tell myself that I don't have needs so I could focus on what my children, my partner, my friends, and my clients need. But it's impossible to keep giving from that depleted place when my own needs are being ignored. And I wonder if this resonates with any of you because think this is a common experience for a lot of helping professionals. So I was feeling sort of this soul wound. And when I read Brene Brown's work, everything she said about authenticity really resonated with me. Something was out of alignment for my soul and I needed to get it connected again. And if someone had said that to me at that time, I might have thought it was really strange. In my body, I get it. So it was getting my head and my body connected. In the training, our group of 11 people was able to deeply connect with each person's shared humanity. I don't know each of the group members' stories. I don't know their lives. But it's okay because I've seen that each person there was worthy of love and belonging, and I am too. That part of me which was really questioning whether I was truly worthy of love and belonging was supported and nurtured in this three-day group intensive. And there were tangible shifts for me which occurred during the group and more shifts which have occurred as a result of my participation in the experience of the Daring Way training. It gave me a language to use with the other group participants for our shared experiences. There were some measurable differences I can tell you about that happened as a result of my experience participating in the Daring Way. People who know me, especially before the past two years, know that I was a huge fan of celebrity gossip for at least 10 years. I really prided myself on keeping up with the celebrity gossip, thinking of it as a guilty pleasure. But really, for me, it was a way to numb myself when I felt anxious, which was quite often. Those of you who do trauma work can probably understand what I'm talking about. It was a way to escape, but what it did was showed me the lives of beautiful people who are rich, famous, and thin. And by reading about their problems, I somehow felt an escape. I would get caught up in their drama. And at the same time, I was comparing myself unfavorably to these celebrities I would see on my Us Magazine app. It wasn't anything I felt needed to change in my life. But after the training, I just didn't want to know about celebrity gossip anymore. And I deleted the app from my phone. I didn't miss it. I didn't think about it. 
And it was something that I probably checked five times a day whenever I felt anxious to find out, you know, who's doing what and what someone wore to what event and who's getting divorced. And it seems silly now, but I think that was an important shift that came to me from the training because it was somehow feeding into my own feelings of unworthiness. And when I was finished with the training, that wasn't there. I still don't read celebrity gossip now. I just literally have no desire to know about it. Even if I'm sitting somewhere bored and there's an Us Magazine sitting there, I'm not interested in picking it up. There was another habit I had that I used in the same way as a way to numb my feelings. I would basically binge on two things, wintergreen lifesavers and mini peppermint patties. And anybody who knew me when we lived in Virginia is nodding knowingly. (laughs) Whenever I felt anxious, I would eat them just one after the other. And even though I knew I was overdoing it, I wasn't in touch with my feelings. I was trying to numb some anxiety that I wasn't really aware I was feeling. So maybe having, um, especially the wintergreen lifesavers are kind of spicy minty. Having that kind of taste in my mouth is like distracting. So again, after the Daring Way experience, I just didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't have the desire because I was feeling more grounded, more present in my body. I think I was able to regulate my emotions better as a result of the work we did in this group. And that is not something that I came there to work on or that I thought I needed to change. It was just normal thing for me to to overdo it with the peppermint patties or lifesavers, wintergreen lifesavers. And after the training, it was just it was just something I could notice was different about me because we have an abundant amount of peppermint patties and wintergreen lifesavers out for anyone to have at my office. And I didn't touch them. I didn't have one for probably at least six months after the training. And when I did, I just had one and it was no big deal. I also have more self-compassion. And that's something that I had never even heard of before I went to the Daring Way training, read Daring Greatly. Now it's been almost two years since I recorded that episode where I talked about how the Daring Way changed things for me. That was episode number five. So if you wanted to hear the whole episode, you can go back on therapychatpodcast.com and listen to episode five. It's been almost two years and I still don't binge on peppermint patties or peppermint lifesavers, no, wintergreen lifesavers, nor do I read Us Magazine at all. I'm not interested in it. I'm not judging you if you do, but for me, I was using it in an unhealthy way and I don't need that now because I feel more grounded and more regulated. Now, about that feeling of being grounded, again, that can be a hard thing to explain. So I'll use the example of what's called the window of tolerance. This is a concept that Dan Siegel identified. He's a wonderful psychiatrist and neuroscientist who actually has been on this podcast as well. And if you wanted to listen to that episode, it is number number 34 from May 2016. He's a brilliant person, but with the window of tolerance, he talks about how when we are in the window of tolerance, which you can think of, I often say, like, think of it like a window of opportunity. It's something that, you know, can close. It's, it's a space. The window of tolerance is when you are in the emotional space of being able to think and feel and tolerate your emotions. It doesn't mean that you might not feel upset, but you can tolerate what you feel. So even if you're very angry, you're very sad, you're very scared, you are still able to tolerate these emotions. And when you are outside of your window of tolerance, which is different for every person, where those lines are, but if you are outside of your window of tolerance, you're either in hyper arousal or hypo arousal. And what that means is when you're in hyper arousal, you're, you've come out of your window of tolerance. So you can't tolerate your emotions and you are either feeling 
uncontrollable anxiety or panic. You're just, you're completely activated and you're not okay. You're not regulated. Your thinking is offline and you're just reacting to emotion. You could be in fight or flight, for example. Hypo arousal is the same thing. You've gone out of your window of tolerance, but instead of being hyper aroused, activated, anxious, panicky, fight or flight, you are hypo aroused. And that means too little arousal. You are feeling stuck. You may be feeling paralyzed, numb, shut down. And in either of those two extremes, when you're not in the window of tolerance, you're not grounded. What helps you get back into the window of tolerance is getting grounded. And there are a lot of different ways to get grounded, but mindfulness is a really good one. So if you can notice what's happening in your body, the sensations, emotions, movement impulses that you feel, you can stay in your window of tolerance. You can stay regulated. And one of the amazing things about working with horses is that it helps you be in your body, feel your emotions and be connected and be regulated. And I'm going to play you a clip from episode 56 when I interviewed my dear colleague, Charlotte Heiler Easley, LCSW, about how working with horses affects us and the neuroscience. So you're going to hear Charlotte talking about that. And then I'm going to share a clip from the episode where, episode 55, where I talked about my experience interacting with horses, which has made me even more wild about spending time with horses than I was before I actually did it. I knew I wanted to, but once I did it, I was completely hooked. So first I'm going to play for you a clip from episode 56 from my interview with Charlotte Heiler Easley, who is an equine assisted psychotherapy and equine assisted learning clinical social worker who uses horses in her work. And she and I are co-facilitating the retreat that I'm going to tell you about at the end. So here's part of my interview with Charlotte. And it's just really based on creating awareness through experiencing different things. Horses give us this great in-the-moment feedback. And and out of that, we get to either make the choice to adjust what we're doing or just become aware of it so that we can notice how it's affecting our surroundings. Because chances are if something's coming up with the horse when I'm working with him doing an activity or whether it's walking him from the paddock to the barn and he reacts to something, the chances are it's something that's within me or what I'm bringing with my body language and that I'm congruent, uh, that my head and my body are kind of in the same place. So we have people all the time that have really a lot of anxiety in that hyper aroused place for something will come into the environment in the barn and will cause them to sort to be triggered. And so immediately their anxiety goes up, their, you know, their heart rate goes up, all of these physical things happen, but they're also just feeling all this stuff and they cannot get that front part of their brain back online. And we talk about this all the time. What part of your brain are you in? Where are you? Okay, we need you to come back in here. Now look, and we start doing the grounding. Count the posts, count the count the buckets over there. What color are the buckets? You know, and to bring people down. But most of the time the, the horse is already reacting to them before we may even notice what's going on and that they may be triggered. And he will do something, you know, he may just start moving his feet a little bit, or he may start flinging his head, or he may start walking away if he's loose, or he may come in and check on them. And um, that's their signal. 
okay, so something's going on with me. And then if they are in the basic very first stages of work, we're going to help them develop the skills and they get to practice um, in a real time setting, which is when they go to the grocery store, they don't always get that. But out there it is safe and the whole, they can gain that awareness and then practice some things that can really facilitate them getting back into their lives. When people are with a horse, the horse is sensing what's happening with the person, right? Like you said. And so the horse may sense that the person is triggered when this person is not sensing it. Right, right. So back to that neurobiology of trauma piece that our bodies know things, you know, they're, they're holding on to those implicit memories, right? Right. To, Things, things start happening, and lots of times the head is two steps behind or because, you know, we may be a little checked out, a little dissociated, a little, or we may be, you know, weight and being active in our heads. And um, horses, because they are prey animals, they and they have a hyper-attunement to their environment that keeps them safe. And they rely on this herd behavior um, to determine whether they're safe. And they're very skilled at reading. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. Did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. What's going on with their herd um, to small, small changes in uh, head where the head is, you know, in a herd, if the head goes up. Somebody's seen something, and so we all need to look at that and see what that is and see if it's a threat or not. And if it's a threat, then we have to make, you know, they're going to make a choice, sort of, whether they're going to fight or flee. Or if they decide that it's not a threat, then they're going to go back to what they're doing. Whereas with us, right, we're going to decide it's not a threat. Logically, we know it's not a threat. But in the back of our brains, we're going, oh, but, you know, it feels and we're all we can't let go of it. Yeah. Um, And we're we're all dysregulated, right? Right. And we're we're there for hours until we consciously understand that we can bring in some of our resources and bring ourselves back online. So the horse is very attuned. So when something sort of triggers someone, their body may react a loud sound in the arena, right? Mm -hmm. Their body may jump. So the horse is going to go, what is this? And as our brains catch up with our bodies, we're going to go, oop, don't feel safe, don't feel safe. And we'll either, you know, whatever our we're going to shut down or we're going to want to run or all those symptoms are going to come up. And then it's obvious, but the horse has already sensed that something's changed and they're going to react to that. So the person has, has practice in noticing, we will say what just happened and what is your horse doing? Mm. And then not only are they noticing that, but they're, they have to become mindful and in the moment present with that, which brings helps bring them back online and helps regulate that process a little bit. So does that all make sense? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's, I mean, I have this sense and I'm not sure if I'm right, because again, I don't really know that much about this, but I've kind of got this sense that if I walk into an arena to work with a horse 
and I'm filled with anxiety. The mm-hmm. horse is going to sense something's wrong. And then mm-hmm. I have to use my own body to calm my body so that the horse will relax. Is that right? Yes, it is. Now, some horses will walk off. Some horses will come. And we've actually seen some horses walk up to people and put their nose against someone's chest as if to say, are you okay? You know, of course, that's my <laughs> my interpretation. But they actually come up and make connection with people, a physical connection with people. And that can be a really powerful experience. So what Charlotte is explaining here is that being in the arena with the horses gives us a chance to be mindful, notice what's happening in our bodies, and practice in a safe space feeling that. So it's not that the one experience changes all of your relationships going forward, although it could, but it gives you a feeling of what that feels like in your body, what you notice, what it feels like when you feel safe, what your body is doing, what it feels like when you don't feel safe, what your body is doing. Sensing that and having the practice of being grounded is incredible. And once you feel it, you want to feel it again. And once you have felt it, you can go back to it. Once you know what that feels like, then you know when you're not feeling that way. I think it's just really cool and so hard to explain in words because it's it's a visceral experience. It's nonverbal. If you want to hear the whole episode, just go listen to episode 56, which you can find on my website, therapychatpodcast.com. Now, the next clip is from episode 55. And it's my story about my first time interacting with horses as an adult, which happened last October, I believe. And I talked about it on episode 55. And just for you to understand how poignant this experience was, when I was listening to the clip that I pulled to share with you in today's episode, I remembered everything that I was talking about just as viscerally, and I was almost in tears just remembering how emotional that experience was. It's it's deeply personal when you have that really deep emotional connection, but I want to share it because I want people to know that you can do this and how helpful it is. This is the kind of emotional experience that I hope to help clients create in our therapy sessions. But there's something special about interacting with horses. And like I have said multiple times, it's pretty indescribable. So it's my hope that through putting this information together in one place during this episode, it will help you just get a sense of what I'm really talking about. So here is the clip from episode 55, which you can hear the rest of, like all of them, on therapychatpodcast.com. Last Saturday, I had a new experience, and it was a total game changer. I have been saying that I was going to take horseback riding lessons, and I've really only ridden a horse in my life maybe five times, all between the ages of 10 to 13. When I was a little girl, I was obsessed with horses. I had horse posters on my wall. I had horses for my Barbie dolls to ride. I had a cowgirl Barbie who rode horses. Many children have that interest. I did grow up in a city, but we had rural areas near enough to us that there was a horse farm where people would go and take lessons or occasionally there would be birthday parties there. So anytime I ever was on the back of a horse, Somebody was holding on to that horse with a lead and walking with it, and I was on top. I wasn't doing anything more than that. But recently, as I've learned more about equine-assisted therapy and the benefits of spending time with horses, which has now more scientific support for its effectiveness, 
I've decided that I am going to increase the amount of time I spend with horses. Basically, I'm going to stop ignoring the part of myself that says, you want to do this. I'm 44, and definitely there's some fear with it because my body has changed quite a bit since I was 13. There's more of me. I feel more fragile, and I don't want to get hurt, and I don't necessarily have muscle memory for what it's like to sit on a horse and to ride. So it's going to be a brand new experience. But even though my body's changed a lot since I was 13, my heart hasn't changed much, if at all. And this experience really showed me that. So before I tell you more about what happened on Saturday, let me give you some information from EGALA, which is the Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association. And you can read about their work at www.egala.org, E-A-G-A-L-A. I'm also going to put that link in the show notes. So I took this information from their website. First of all, how does equine assisted learning and growth work? Well, horses are bigger and stronger than us. They're powerful creatures and being around them can feel intimidating, which creates an opportunity to get up close and personal with our own fears. Hint, vulnerability. Like humans, horses are social creatures who live in herds. They have a social hierarchy in terms of how they relate to one another in the herd. Working on how we relate to horses is a way for us humans to work on how we relate to other humans, as well as our relationships with ourselves. Horses know when what we're saying and doing don't match what we're feeling and sensing, even though we might not know. They reflect back to us what we're feeling and sensing, or the incongruence between our feelings, sensations, words, and actions, even or especially when it's outside of our own conscious awareness. I want to spend time with horses and I want to get to know myself as best I can. So I went to a workshop on learning with horses. I gathered in a barn with a group of two other women, the instructor and the horse trainer. I really didn't know what to expect because I haven't done anything like this before, although I have heard about it from fellow therapists. So I guess I had a little bit of a head start on knowing what the experience might be like, but I felt very uncertain. The whole thing was on the ground. We didn't mount the horses at all, thankfully, because I still don't know how to. We were introduced to two horses, a darker colored one and a lighter colored one. I felt super vulnerable and nervous. I wanted to know what to do and what not to do and how and what was going to happen. I told myself, just sit with the discomfort. I know this is where growth happens. Part of me wanted to relax, be in the moment, let go and just see what happened. And part of me wanted to know, to check whether or not I was doing it right, if I was okay, to understand and to know why. These parts of myself battled for that entire two-hour period of the workshop. When we walked up to each horse, I had lots of thoughts. I wondered how to touch the horse, if it was okay to touch him, and whether he would hurt me. I was acutely aware of how large and heavy he was, and that he could kick me, bite me, or step on me if he felt like it. Then I went a little deeper into my emotions instead of just my thoughts. I suspected that he didn't like me. I felt self-conscious about being uncomfortable, and I worried who could tell. I was pretty sure the horse could tell, although he didn't say anything. I felt his soft, velvety coat and tangled mane. I noticed that he was beautiful, and he looked like he had been through some things. I decided maybe he wasn't judging me as harshly as I was judging myself. All that took place in about two minutes. Feeling a little softer towards myself, I approached the other horse. One of the other women of the group was standing with the horse, and I felt protective toward her time with him. I held my hand out to him, wondering if he was okay with me petting his nose. I don't know how to be with a horse, so I just did what you would do with a dog. I just let him, like, sniff my hand. He gently nuzzled my hand. I didn't know if this is what they always do or if he liked my touch. I awkwardly stood there for a few seconds, continuing to let him smell my hand and nuzzle it. Then something surprising happened. He tilted his head towards me and sort of snuggled up to my neck. I don't even know what to call it, but immediately tears sprang to my eyes. I felt seen and understood, probably better understood by the horse than I was understanding myself in that moment. And I had this strange experience of a felt sense. When you just know something that is coming from within, your inner wisdom, your soul, your wisest self, whatever you want to call it, it tells you something from within yourself. 
It's more than just a thought. The felt sense told me he knows I'm sad. One of the reasons it was so weird is because I hadn't known I was sad until that moment. I felt apologetic toward the other woman standing there because the horse was giving me more attention and because I was fighting back tears, which is pretty uncomfortable anytime, but especially in front of a stranger. And we were very close to each other. At the same time, I felt incredibly grateful to the horse. As Brene Brown says, vulnerability is courage. And boy, did I feel vulnerable. All of that happened in the first 30 minutes of this experience. So if you'd like to hear the rest of that episode, that is number 55. Now the next clip that I'm going to play for you is from my interview with Lisa Mitchell in episode number 68. And in this part, Lisa, who's an art therapist who teaches therapists about how the therapy process is like the creative process. Lisa talks about using experiential work to have a felt sense and how that can really shift things for people. So You can listen to the rest of this episode by going to therapychatpodcast.com and clicking on episode 68. Here we go. In my mind, to think about what you're saying about art and creativity and the therapeutic process, one thing I often hear is that creating art is a very vulnerable experience. And I know in my training with working with expressive arts, and I'm not an art therapist, but helping trauma survivors process emotion through expressive arts. I learned that experientially, and I noticed in my body something was happening and things would shift that really had very little to do with what actually came out onto the medium that I was using. Mm -hmm. It was more like the process of making it did something inside me, and I wouldn't have known that if I wasn't learning it that way in that, that training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that the research and the literature now really from what we know about what's effective and how our brains work uh, in a sort of a, a biological way and anatomical way, the experiential, any kind of experiential interaction in a therapeutic sense or in, a th- in the context of a therapeutic um, session or relationship is what we need to create as therapists and experience as clients in order to really unlock the, the change agent or the transformation that is needed in order for the experiences to shift. And also for those exper- the lovely experiences to be solidified and, and absorbed in a, in a really life-affirming way. That if we just sit around talking about stuff, uh, we're not addressing, like you said, Laura, our, the bodily experience, the sensory experience, the visual, the, you know, the tactile experience that really is where all of, uh, well, the majority, 90% of our interaction with the world comes from. So it is totally important for therapists as well as clients to embrace the experiential aspect of healing. And when we do that, it is vulnerable. One of the main things that, that is vulnerable is that we take, we take our main coping mechanism or our sense making, you know, abilities with our cognitive brain offline and invite an expression that is probably not easily explained or understood, then, you know, we, we have our, our art, our, you know, our poetry, our dance, our movement, our music as a way of uh, really sort of translating the experience. But we don't have the words that even can make sense out of it very easily, right? We can say, yeah, I drew a, you know, I drew a moon today, but really that embodied experience of the painting or the drawing or the music or the dance is what is causing the change. And the last clip I want to share with you to help you understand what that experiential therapy feeling is, (laughs) which I'm having a hard time putting into words. The last clip I want to share with you is from Lisa Ferentz. 
Lisa Ferentz is a teacher, a clinical social worker, and an international speaker who has taught me a ton, but she's she's just doing incredible work in the world. And I interviewed her last year, and we talked about how important it is for therapists to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to know how to regulate ourselves, to be grounded during our therapy sessions, and how therapist self-awareness is such an important part of the work we do to help our clients. So this upcoming retreat that Charlotte Heiler Easley and I are doing at the end of August 2017, one day is a day for non-professionals, and the other day is a day for therapists only. So if you're a therapist and you're intrigued and wanting to have this kind of felt sense experience, listen to my interview with Lisa, the clips I'm going to share, and think about what that might be like for you. And maybe you'll decide to join us. So here is a portion of my interview with Lisa. Something that was really profound for me in the program was you taught us as clinicians to be checking in with our bodies during sessions. Right. Can you talk more about sort of working with the body in trauma therapy, both as for clinicians and with clients? Sure. I think it's such a great question that you're asking because it really is kind of the newest way that we have to both work with clients, as you suggest, but also to help us as clinicians really be able to be more mindful and more aware and track our own countertransferential experiences. Because no matter how you know much of a veteran you are in this field, there's no question that there are lots and lots of very emotionally loaded moments that we have with clients. And we're certainly listening at times to very toxic and difficult trauma narratives. And so it's so important that we have what I I call a dual awareness where we're both simultaneously aware of what's happening for our clients and asking them many, many times in the course of a session to pause and to really look within and to notice what they're feeling in that moment on their bodies. Because I think the body is such a critical compass and a guide for both the client and the clinician in terms of understanding, you know, are they fully present versus dissociative? Do they feel grounded? Are they aware of their body? Are they aware of their surroundings? Um, Are they having a body memory, which can often happen when people are talking about trauma, which can then lead to, you know, again, feelings of dissociation or it can create an exacerbation of of anxiety or um, just a state of being flooded and overwhelmed. So it's really important that we're often asking our clients in the course of a session, not just how they're doing, but how they're doing in terms of the experiences and the sensations that they're feeling on their bodies. And at the same time, for the clinicians who are doing this really challenging and difficult work, we have to have that second awareness of right now, as I'm listening to this client disclose a very difficult, a very painful, very moving trauma experience, what's happening on my body? Am am I grounded? Am I present? Do I have an awareness of my body? Um, And using our bodies as a way to be more grounded. So very simply, like just remembering as clinicians to put, to keep both feet on the floor. And I, I tell clients the same thing because, you know, oftentimes, in session, if clients begin to get triggered or overwhelmed, they will kind of go into a constricted or a collapsed body posture. They'll often literally go into a kind of fetal position where they'll tuck their legs underneath them. And that's a really important indicator to the clinician that that client is really not fully present anymore. Mm. And so having the client pay attention to body sensation really can help keep them present and aware. And it can keep us present and aware, you know that one of the things I always say in the trauma program is that someone's got to be grounded and present at all times and it better be the therapist. Yes, I love that. Right? Because it's not always the client. That clip was from, from last year and she came back and was on a recent episode talking about her newest book, Finding Your Ruby Slippers, which I love and recommend to people and use with my clients in session all the time. So I definitely recommend that you listen to 
both episode 26 with Lisa Ference and the recent episode with her, which is episode 89 on connecting with your inner wisdom using journaling and connecting to self-compassion. So definitely check that out. Well, this has been a long episode, but I really was hoping that you would be able to kind of get what I've been trying to explain about experiential methods and why the work with horses, which helps us to ground in our bodies and experience the emotions in our bodies with real-time feedback in the moment from the horse, being able to experience connection in your body. It's just, it's so hard to put it into words, but that is what we are hoping people will experience at our equine retreat using concepts of the daring way. The two dates are August 29th and August 30th, and registration will be available on my website any moment. So if you go to my website and you can't find the registration link, email me at laura at lauraregan.lcswc.com and there will be an early bird option. This is a very small retreat each day. There are only there's only space for eight participants because we're keeping it intimate. And the first day is for the general public. The second day is for therapists only. So I hope you will consider joining us. You will find much more information about this on my Facebook page, my Twitter, Instagram, and my website in very, very near future. If I haven't made it clear, this this retreat is a collaboration between myself and Charlotte Heiler Easley, who you heard in this episode talking about her work with equine-assisted survivors of trauma therapy. That is a method that she developed. And Charlotte is coming to Maryland to co-facilitate this retreat with me. And we are so excited to bring this. So I hope that you will consider joining us. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.